You're listening to The Bible for Normal People, the only God-ordained podcast on the internet. I'm Pete Enns. And I'm Jared Bias. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode. We're excited to announce the newest title in the Bible for Normal People book series, Romans for Normal People. It's written by our good friend Daniel Kirk. He's an award-winning New Testament scholar, author, who's spent years engaging normal people about the Bible and nerdy things through blogs, podcasts, books, speaking. This book is great because it doesn't just give you the historical, literary context of the letter, though of course it does all of that, but it also wrestles with what it means to read Romans well. And that's important because reading Romans well is not always something we as Christians have done well, well. Romans is not just this collection of one-liners that we can wield against those with whom we disagree. It's Paul's plea to the early church to put aside their petty squabbles and get on with the business of living like Jesus, to stop waiting for the new creation and just start living it. So with our latest book here, Romans for Normal People, you're invited to you know, think about Romans in a new way and engage with the text as it is. And of course, we couldn't ask for a better guide than our good friend Daniel Kirk. So the book officially comes out on November 1st, but you can pre-order Romans for Normal People today wherever you buy books online. You can also get a bonus gift when you pre-order by going to thebiblefornormalpeople.com front slash books. Welcome everyone to this episode of the podcast. We are excited for this holiday special event on <laughs> okay. Halloween okay. called Satan's Biblical Roots. And we're talking with Greg Mobley. Yeah, Greg is professor of Hebrew Bible and congregational studies. Uh, he's at Andover Newton Seminary, which is now owned by Yale Divinity School. Um, so he's the author of some books, one of which is a, a book he's co-written with T.J. Ray uh, called The Birth of Satan, Tracing the Devil's Biblical Roots. And we just had a fascinating conversation uh, looking at a Hebrew Bible, Second Temple, apocalyptic, apocryphal kind of stuff, moving into the New Testament to try to understand the development, right? Yeah, of this and that's figure. what I was going to say. As we jump into the episode, I would encourage you to listen to the subtext of what we're talking about, because yes. this is about Satan's biblical roots, but in a lot of ways, it's also a great window through which you can see some ways of understanding what the Bible is and, and yes, what we can do with it. Right. And you'll hear that theme struck now and then, but it's the biblical roots, but those roots change and grow. They don't stay the same. Those roots are growing and moving and all that kind of stuff. So, All right. Have a happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Satan is never systematically introduced and explained in the New Testament he is referred to as if everyone in the community already possesses the kind of backstory, has the lore. There's something going on here. There must be an evil power uh, which is dedicated to harassing the righteous, uh, which in essence is the world's first conspiracy theory. Let's talk microdosing, as you'd expect from a Bible podcast. Microdose gummies deliver perfect entry-level doses of THC that help you feel just the right amount of good. And you know, microdose gummies are good for so many things like anxiety, workflow, sleeping, and stuff like that. I mean, Jared, we've had people in our lives that have benefited from this too, not just us. Yeah, I have a family member who regularly uses microdosing 
for more creative, like recreational time, a time they journal every night and it's sort of a way to unwind and do the journaling. And that's worked really well for them. Our yeah. producer. Our producer. It's made such a difference, folks. I can't even tell you that. So anyway, <laughs> and for me as well, uh, microdose gummies helped me a lot with anxiety and sleep and just stopping that racing mind at night. And it helps tremendously. I get a good night's sleep. So get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code normal people. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code normal people for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code normal people. Greg, thanks for being on our podcast. Thanks, Pete. It's great to hear your voice again. Yeah, same here. It's been a few years, but uh, we go way back and, you know. We won't talk about that, though. That would No, we're not here to talk about the no. good old days. Well, they weren't, they weren't, we're here to talk they about... They weren't good necessarily either. We're here to talk about point. Satan. Yeah, let's talk... Okay, yeah, let's talk about a figure that we know from the Hebrew Bible, but maybe what we know isn't always right, <laughs> right? So let's, let's just clarify what that word or person, Satan or Satan, right, in Hebrew, what... What does that mean, and where do we find it? And let's just start talking about like where 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 to go in the Bible to see this figure, and what can we make of him? Satan begins in earnest in the Bible, in Job and the book of Zechariah, but I'll get there in a second. The word Satan, or Satan in Hebrew, means adversary or foe, and that word Satan is used about eight times in the Old Testament just to refer to a human foe, some, some bad king that's trying to get at David or Solomon is a Satan. So uh, it means foe. In the book of Job, Satan makes his debut, Satan as an angel, Satan as a cosmic figure. And it's, it's fascinating. You know, he, Satan makes his cameo, and he's just a bit player in the book of Job. He appears in the first two chapters, and then he never appears again. But it's kind of like Hannibal Lecter in The Silence of the Lambs. He wasn't the star of the movie, but he made such an impact that there's going to be a lot of sequels. (laughs) That's good. So Satan starts as, you know, a character actor, as it were, in the book of Job. But then he's going to um, become a star in his own right. The crazy thing about Satan in the book of Job is it's clear that he is still on the divine payroll. It says that one day the sons of God came before the Lord, and this is the angels kind of reporting for roll call every morning, before God in the heavenly court, and it says, and the adversary, the Satan, was among them. And it seems, based on the context of the first couple chapters of Job and a reference in Zechariah, that Satan is one of the angels that has a special job. And eventually, other angels will have special jobs. You know, Gabriel, Gabriel's job is to uh, visit uh, couples, and tell them they're going to have a baby. And Michael's job will be to defend the people of God. And it seems that if if it's true that the book of Job was written after the Babylonian exile, there 
becomes the, the, a lot of interest in angels starts to emerge in the Bible. They never had names uh, until uh, after the exile, and they and they especially get named in the book of Daniel. So anyway, Satan is one of the angels. Satan's job, it seems, is to be the attorney general of the heavenly court and to launch sting operations designed to find out whether humans are faithful or faking it. You know, everybody kind of is uh, looks pretty good when um, there's no pressure. And what Satan does in, in the book of Job is Satan, with God's permission, puts Job uh, in the fire to see if it's really true that he's blameless and upright and turns from evil and fears God. So Satan has this certain job to test mortals. And, you know, that kind of remains part of Satan's portfolio ever going forward, Satan as the tester, as the tempter. Yeah, so just to be clear, though, in Job, the first couple of chapters where this figure shows up, Satan is not his name, right? It's well, more of a title or is it a name? It's not. Well, that, here's, that's the great question. It says the Satan, it doesn't say Satan. So, in a way, it is a title. The tempter, the tester, the adversary. It's interesting that um, how language evolves, because we have a phrase, the devil's advocate. And it's used specifically in cases in Roman Catholicism where someone's undergoing a kind of an, an evaluation for sainthood. And there's someone on that committee who serves as the devil's advocate and tries to point out all the weaknesses of the candidate. And in a way... Right out of Job. Well, that, that's exactly what uh, Hasatan is doing in Job. He's serving as this negative advocate. And then in the book of Zechariah, which also clearly comes from the the uh, period after the exile, because there's a date formula at the beginning of it that tells us when it happens. And um, there, there is a person who is being evaluated as the high priest of the temple in Jerusalem. And it says that Satan is there to speak against him. So this is performing the same function as Job. Satan as this auditor of human virtue. Okay, so those were a few. One other thing that comes up to me, and I don't know if there are others, but I was thinking of David's census. Does Satan come up there in Chronicles versus Samuel as well? Yes, it does. So another place where the word Satan appears is then, um, you know, the book of Chronicles— the books of Chronicles are rewritten versions of Samuel and Kings, and and the book of Chronicles is clearly written centuries after Samuel and Kings. And in Samuel, it says that the Lord put David up to, um, an evil spirit from the Lord put David up to uh, conducting a census. In Second Chronicles 24, uh, the same passage it now names this figure as Satan. 
So clearly between somewhere in the post-exilic period, we see that Satan appears as the name for, um, well, in this case, not uh, he's not doing what he's doing in Job at all. This Satan is actually stirring up evil just on his own. And, and that's something maybe we can talk about for a minute, is it seems to be from Job, like if you, if you think about these instances of Satan chronologically, not necessarily in the biblical order, but maybe the written order of how they come about, there's this seems to be this evolution of distancing evil from God and, and sort of scapegoating this other figure. And, and I always liked that Samuel Chronicles distinction because Samuel says it's an evil spirit from the Lord, which is something like modern Christians. I mean, the way I grew up, we would have never even considered that that's possible, that an evil spirit comes from God. And it seems like the chronicler is also moving in that direction of like, oh, okay, that's a little iffy. We should maybe (laughs) distance this figure and separate it and say it's that. But is there this evolution, it seems, where the Satan figure or function is actually a part of God and then eventually gets separated out and becomes, oh, no, that's like anti-God. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Chronicles represents... Uh, what sometimes we call a rewritten Bible. It rewrites Samuel and Kings. In between the Testaments, there are other examples of rewritten Bibles of Jewish religious documents that retell the biblical story. And one of them is called the Book of Jubilees. And in the Book of Jubilees, um, when it tells the story of Abraham's test of when God told Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, which is, you know, a real problem theologically, that God would command uh, someone to kill their own child in order to prove that they love God more than the child. And in Jubilees, when it retells that story, you know, back in Genesis 22, it said, and God tested Abraham. In Jubilees, it says, and Mastema, tested Abraham, Mastema being another name for the Satan figure. So we have this, um, let's just call it an evolution or development of this figure. And and in Chronicles, as I recall, it's it doesn't say the Satan. Right. It, it just says, says Satan. Satan. So that seems to be more like a um a name. Is that I mean, or, or something he, like that? Yes. I mean, it's clear, again, if you think about the the religion of the first temple, basically from, say, 1,000 to 500, and the religion, the biblical religion of the second temple from, say, 500 BC up until the the first, uh, the turn of the common era, we have, you know, the growth of this new kind of thinking called apocalyptic. And Satan is part of it. I want to ask about one more thing, because something that's noticeably absent in our conversation. When you started, you said Job is the first instance. But in my Bible, my interpreted Bible from when I was young, <laughs> the, Satan shows Don't up in it. Genesis. Don't say it. Don't say it. Oh, he <laughs> said it. The Satan, the Satan sure. is the serpent. And, and sure. I also want to, I want to do, I want to recognize that at least in, in Revelation 20, 
it refers to the serpent of old and seems to try to, it does make this connection. So I don't, you know, nothing against my Sunday school teachers when I was a kid to put the serpent in there. That is a longstanding tradition. But can you talk about where, because if you go back now and look in Genesis, it doesn't actually make that connection, but how did that get connected to Satan, this serpent in Genesis? Right. I don't know of one of these non-biblical texts that identifies the serpent with Satan prior to the book of Revelation. But what we do know, and you can see from reading the Gospels, especially Matthew, is that once uh, there were Jewish believers in Jesus as the Messiah, they reread the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, Tanakh, whatever you want to call it, they reread it to find, where's Jesus? And of course, they found Jesus all over the place. And uh, that's part of the Christian interpretation, especially in the prophets and in the Psalms. And while they were finding Jesus in the Old Testament, they also found Satan or the devil. Okay, so it's, it's, a, it's part of that we reread our Bible now in light of this. And again, that development of the Satan figure by the time we get to the New Testament, which I hope we get to here in a minute, is more prominent. And so it makes sense that in the same way we're going to find Jesus, we're also going to find these later developments in our theology, like angels and demons and devil, back into the into the Hebrew Bible. Yeah, and it's such a kind of complicated mess and stew It's not all systematically articulated because even though, for the most part, Satan in the New Testament has become the head of the demons, the arch enemy of God, it's possible that in Mark's gospel, in the story of Jesus's temptation, that Hasatan is still performing that function that he did back in Job and Zechariah. Because it says that the Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness, there to be tested by, well, the Greek is diabolos, but that's the their form of Satan. So that it could be actually that Mark's view is that this is Satan performing the same function as in the Job story on behalf of God just to test Jesus and see if Jesus is ready, to to see what Jesus is made of. So when you say the messiness, it's that the New Testament still seems to be a little bit in flux about this figure. And is is this figure from God? Is this figure opposed to God? Even within the New Testament, we see a little bit of this ambiguity, maybe is the right word? Yeah, this is the only place I can think of where we still might see the Satan pre-fall, as it were. But uh, it's there. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, 
They offer free plant consultation forever. I was worried about talking about fast growing trees on here because I'm not a green thumb, but then I realized that probably makes me the perfect candidate to be able to talk about this. I loved the website. It was so easy. It was searchable by region. And then the experts who are there to help you make the decisions lowers the anxiety around something I don't typically know a lot about, but it was a really good experience. This spring, they have the best deals online up to half off on selected plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code NORMALPEOPLE at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using the code NORMALPEOPLE at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code NORMALPEOPLE. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. A calling is a powerful thing. It's a very strong belief that there is something bigger for you. It's about who you are and where you're going in life. You may be in college, you may be halfway through a career, but you want something different. There's a place for you at Union Presbyterian Seminary, where students are prepared for a call to ministry. At Union, you will find a diverse community. You'll find students from different denominations and professors who will listen to you and challenge you. You'll find people who help you find your own path. You'll find a school where financial realities matter. Union offers generous financial aid, and it meets you where you are with three different platforms for learning. Residential online, and hybrid. You'll find a world-class faculty who will invest in you, a community long after you graduate that supports you and equips you for service and for leadership. Safwat Marzuk, who has been on the podcast here on The Bible for All People, is a faculty at Union Presbyterian Seminary and is slated to write one of our upcoming commentaries. It's no secret, if you're a listener to the podcast, how much Pete and I have relied on our seminary education and how much that has shaped our view of the world and all of our work here at The Bible for Normal People. It's your call. Respond with Union Presbyterian Seminary. To learn more, go to upsem.edu or email admissions at upsem.edu. Whenever we think about the Bible in this way, and maybe we can talk a little bit about it from the perspective of the New Testament, but it seems, again, to be this—I keep coming back to this development and— I wanted to maybe draw some connections to what kind of Bible do we have where we start with this figure that sort of functions in one way and in, it doesn't develop. I mean, I, would it be fair to say that the the clear hierarchy of Satan as opposed to God with Satan's own hierarchy of angels and demons that rule and roam the earth that's not really fully articulated until well after the New Testament. And I guess what I'm trying to ask is, what does this say about our Bible that we have a Satan figure that is pretty ambiguous in the Hebrew Bible and is maybe slightly clearer, but still not entirely clear in the New Testament? Yeah, well, one thing it says about the Bible is that it's, you know, if we were to use Jewish terms, there's always Torah and Talmud. There's always the text, but then there's the interpretation. The text never exists by itself. And in this case, the text of the Bible continues to be interpreted and reinterpreted and our understanding of it to evolve. And it was meant to be that way. The Bible was meant to be a conversation starter. You know, it was it was meant to be read uh, in community and um, filled the blanks filled in. It invites this kind of uh, continued 
uh, ornamentation and nuance. Yeah. Okay. Well, one thing I'm still a little confused about here, um, and it's not your fault. It's just the, the nature of the topic. But how I want to get back to something you you touched on earlier, and this is the the development, the evolution of this figure. And we we go from somebody who's on Yahweh's payroll, as you said, right? <laughs> yeah, great way of putting it. He said, "Hey, how are you? Have a seat. Uh, any any news to tell me? This is not the um, the 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 ruler of the underworld, right? So we have this is a different thing entirely than what people are used to thinking of from you know medieval theology and things like that. But then we we move from that to this figure who is hostile to God, which he's not in Job. He's not hostile to God because God's egging him on in that story. Right, like, right. Come on. Yeah. And, and setting limits. <laughs> right, yeah. So I'm, I'm trying to understand. I mean, maybe this is unrecoverable. I, I just don't know. But it's not why? unrecoverable. You can trace it in these documents Again, religious documents, Jewish uh, documents between the Testaments. And Satan, that's where Satan really fully emerges with three different origin stories. One of them is based on that funny little uh, paragraph that's the prelude to the flood story back in Genesis 6, where it says that the uh, sons of God saw that the daughters of men were fair, and they came down and um, had a little hanky-panky, these angelic figures with women. And as a result, there were giants in those days. And the first kind of explanation for where the devil came from is people believed, and this is in these apocryphal texts, that angels had sex with women and spawned demons. And that then one, the demon who was like the main guy was Satan. And then another story emerges. We can call that the watcher's myth. Another story emerges. We can call it the envy of Adam myth that says, you know, uh, at the beginning, Lucifer was just one of the angels, another name for the devil and uh, was in good stead. And then God created Adam and Eve. And um, uh, Lucifer had some kind of sibling rivalry. This is like, you know, there's a new baby in the family, and Lucifer was no longer the apple of God's eye. And so Lucifer became envious and then dedicated the, the rest of his eternal, not quite eternal life, to harassing Adam and Eve and their children. Mm-hmm. And this is actually the story that's in the Quran about the origin of Satan. Oh, interesting. Okay. And then the final origin story is the Lucifer myth, if you will. Uh, there are two passages in Isaiah and another in Ezekiel about um, their diatribes against a foreign king who's oppressing uh, the Israelites. But in both cases, they tell a story about a king, this king who thought he was so great. He, he thought he could rule the world. He even tried to ascend to heaven. And as a result, 
God knocked him down a notch or two, and he fell. And so from those passages, which are clearly explicitly about foreign kings, people look back and said, yeah, but those are allegories. And what they're talking about is actually how Satan was an angel, and he uh, got above his raisin, and God had to knock him down a notch. That's when he fell. And now uh, this Lucifer figure is, you know, in revolt against God. Okay. Well, uh, all right. So we can trace it textually in, in, in literature written in between nearing the end of the Hebrew Bible and the beginning of the, um, the New Testament. I'm wondering, though, again, this is the part that might be very hard to answer. I do not have an answer to this myself. Why? Not just that. We see the that. We see the texts. But why have these texts that talk about this figure in this way? Why did, it, why did it, that evolution even happen? Yeah, well, I think there's two things going on. One is monotheism is an incredible idea that emerges most clearly with the 8th century prophets, and then it's championed by the, the Hebrew prophets. But uh, monotheism is, is tough, you know. Amos says, speaking with God's voice, I am the Lord, I create weal, that is goodness, and I create woe. Well, that's tough. That's tough to maintain faith in a God who's ultimately responsible for everything. And so there is a kind of existential insecurity to pure monotheism because there's no one, this, this, you are blessing and praising and thanking the same God who's responsible for all your all your trials and all your troubles. So that's one part of the problem. Satan, in a way, will solve that. It, by it's e it would be easier if you had multiple gods. Well, yeah, it would be. All right. But the other thing that happens is it seems that around the time of the book of Daniel, and let's just say 200 BC, BCE, as you prefer, that there was a real crisis in the religious thinking of ancient Israel and it happened because, you know, there's this Syrian ruler in Palestine who condemns the practice of Judaism, who sacrifices a pig on the altar in the temple, who uh, persecutes and executes faithful Jews. You know, for the most part, all forever and a day, faithful people have struggled with the kind of vicissitudes of life and how things go up, things go down, and sometimes you just, you know, you understand it by and by. But it seems this was a point where it became even that kind of, of everyday uh, just rolling with the punches uh, didn't work anymore. And all of a sudden, the idea emerged, wait a second, there's something going on here. There must be an evil power uh, which is dedicated to harassing the righteous. And, you know, this apocalyptic worldview emerges full-blown 
which in essence is the world's first conspiracy theory. <laughs> um, it, it, it's saying that behind appearances, there is this network, and it's got a Professor Moriarty, and that's Satan, and then there's this whole network of demons under his control, and they are behind the scenes trying to bedevil humanity. So it's an it's an explanation, and it's an explanation in the time of intense persecution and crisis, and an explanation in face of, given all of these things that are happening, when you have monotheism, for there to be some sort of of hope or outlook, it's hard to it's hard to manage the theology of good and evil within monotheism. And so kind of you you're you're introduced to some st- instability within monotheism. You get a lot of good things, but it creates some instability in this ethical realm and then when you add to that this crisis and persecution, it it spawns you know this idea of you know again, how do we have this explanation for what's going on around us? Absolutely. Okay. I mean it's it's so what Jared just said I think is I mean in my opinion Greg it's like an explanation of like all of theology. You're, you're trying to account for your reality using the old structures of the tradition. And if you have to augment them or shift them in some way, well, then you just do that. There's a story I, ho- I would love to have you comment on. Um, the um, story of Balaam. and and um see satan appears there too although i think the word never show it does not show up in english translations right it's it it i i looked at it earlier today just to see what it was in the new revised standard version it said adversary right but you know in the case of balaam which appears in the book of numbers balaam is an ancient prophet but not from israel but from Jordan. And the king of Moab wants Balaam, uh, with his special powers, to curse the children of Israel as they're making their way through Moabite territory toward the promised land. And so uh, he sends an emissary to Balaam. Balaam actually receives, it says, a message from the Lord, telling him, first, don't curse these people. Don't do what the uh, Moabite king Baor asks you to do. But then eventually, uh, it seems God says, all right, go with them um, as if God's going to teach him a lesson. So Balaam on his donkey begins to travel in order to curse the Israelites. And then, of course, the great story is um, his donkey sees the angel of the Lord in the road. And Balaam doesn't. And the donkey rears and the donkey won't go forward. And Balaam, they go through this three times where, and he's being increasingly angry and punitive with the donkey. And finally, the donkey says, hey, buddy, you know, we've been pals for a long time. I don't, I don't hit you. Why are you hitting me? And then Balaam sees the angel. That angel is referred to as the, a Satan, mm-hmm. a Satan. And yeah. this is the angel of the Lord, right? 
It's an angel of the Lord. So th this is not the Satan of Job, but it's another, it's a an angel acting as a Satan, as an adversary. So again, it just underscores that the, the, the I guess the flexibility in the Hebrew Bible of the term, I, I mean, the default is not, let's say, the Satan of maybe the New Testament or later on, or, or in Second Temple Judaism. It is more of an adversarial title, regardless of who holds it. That can be the angel of the Lord. It's it can a be, function. It's a function. It's how something it's a, functions. Right. It's a function that turns into an identity. Mm -hmm. Right, right, mm -hmm. right. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. yeah. And so maybe as we wrap up, and, and you know, this is getting outside of, the, outside of the Bible itself, but I do think we read a lot of this back into it. And so, you know, maybe comment just a, a, a few more minutes on wh where do we, where does the evolution stop in the New Testament? Like what, where, what's the most developed we get with this figure in terms of how we can how we can paint how the ancient you know writers would have thought of of Satan or the devil, and then where does it go from there? Like it seems like it, we have this point at which okay the Bible has it a certain way, but it clearly keeps developing until we get to the Middle Ages, you know, medieval theology where it gets really ornate and really crisp and clear in a lot of ways that it's not in the New Testament. So kind of where does the New Testament end up, I guess, is my question. Right. Well, I mean, it's a great question because it doesn't have a simple answer. Satan is never systematically introduced and explained in the New Testament he is referred to as if everyone in the community already possesses the kind of backstory, has the lore. You know, the devil is walking around like a lion, seeking whom he can devour. Or all the Satan figures in the book of Revelation, whether it's the beast or the red dragon. But it is only, you know, subsequent generations of, of interpreters who are going to continue to kind of spin out and articulate this story of the devil. I mean, I think one of the most influential things in American Protestant Christianity was the Schofield Bible. And the Schofield Bible from the 19th century, in his notes, uh, he will explain when he's glossing, you know, Isaiah chapter 14 or Ezekiel chapter 12, he'll gloss the story, those references to foreign kings as referring to the uh, fall of Lucifer. But it's, it's never actually, you know, when you're a kid and you, you, you hear about the devil, you know, you always wonder, but, you know, where is it in the Bible? It isn't, you know, the story of where the devil came from. It's this amalgamation of uh, fleeting references in the Bible and then a lot of post-biblical lore. Yeah, and again, I think to underscore um, that is that's the way of it, isn't it? I mean, the, these texts never just stay where they are; they're always adapted and yep. brought into a new reality. And in a way, looking at Hasatan is almost like an example of what we see, really, in in the history of Jewish and Christian interpretation. It doesn't tell us anything. I mean, when in, in Revelation twenty, when it refers to the dragon or the serpent, actually, let me let me ask you something. <laughs> I've always been bothered by that. It says the the serpent, the dragon or the serpent, who is the devil or Satan. 
this is never explicitly tied to the Garden of Eden. And I wonder, I've wondered, I don't, I, I would not want to, I'm not going to fall on this sword, but <laughs> I don't know if this is the chaos monster we're talking about here in Revelation 20. Oh, this is the serpent, not that little snake in exactly. Genesis 3. Yeah. This is Lotan. This is Leviathan. This is, this is the serpent referred to in several passages in the Psalms, in the prophets, who um, God kind of defeated before time in order for us to have a world that works. Right. Right. Absolutely. And now it's like round two or something. Mm. Of yeah. course, I don't know that either. And the text doesn't say that. But it's just the 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 dragon. I I just don't know if dragon makes more sense of mm-hmm. you know the Enuma Elish, for example. You know, it, it it makes a little more sense. We see depictions of Tiamat, right, in in, in Akkadian mythology that looks awfully dragon like. You know, sometimes it looks like a serpent. Sometimes it looks like more like a dragon. It's got claws, sort of like a lion's head with wings and things. It's this rather ominous kind of creature. And I don't know. I just, I just wonder if if we're suffering from like lazy reading of these texts. And well, this clearly connects to our Christian piece of theology. In other words, I'm not sure if New Testament writers connected the serpent in gen- in, in Revelation. Sure. But at any rate, you've still got Satan falling like lightning in the gospel. So you still got Satan as a as a, a character who's important yes. in the New Testament. Right, right, right. right. Yeah, yeah. I'm not taking that away. Yeah. Well, and, and this again for me, just to kind of wrap this up, also underscores, I think you're right, Pete, that this is a great example to follow through in terms of these questions of what is the Bible and what do we do with it. And what it points out to me too, is this whole world you mentioned several times, Greg, these intertestamental books. And I think sometimes Christians can forget that there's this whole, I think of it as like world building, right? So Mm -hmm. J.R.R. Tolkien and George Martin, like these books, these universes that are being built, the universe of the new Testament is being built in this place where we don't have a lot of familiarity. And so Mm -hmm. we, we fill a lot of gaps where actually if we just read Jubilees and we read these, we might say, oh, a lot of the New Testament seems at home here. Mm-hmm. There's some there's some good right. background information in these books. And when we don't do that, I feel like we end up cramming a lot of stuff that maybe doesn't belong because we have to do something. So we're filling the gaps in a way that we're like, oh, I guess I don't know where this comes from instead of like, oh, well, we kind of do know where it comes from. There's a lot of books here that if we took time to read. So I just think that's a, an important uh, piece I'm coming away with too is to understand our New Testament really is to make sure we situate it in the Second Temple in apocalyptic worldview where these other texts that we have access to um, are being written. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Greg, for coming on and elucidating uh, Satan for us. Yeah, you'd know the topic a little bit too well, if you ask me, Greg. Uh, a little suspicious. A little suspicious. <laughs> That's okay. Hey, man, it was great to talk with you. Thanks so much for being on. A lot of fun. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. You've just made it through another episode of The Bible for Normal People. Thanks to our listeners who support us each week by rating the podcast, leaving a review, and telling others about our show. We couldn't have made this amazing episode without the help of our producers group. Gabrielle Dion Kindem. Pastor Josh Andrews, Andy, Bruce Sims, Jane Smith, James Christofferson, M.M. Branch, Hyde Baker, 
Sam and Nicole Galambos, and Travis Mallet. As always, you can support the podcast at patreon.com slash the Bible for normal people, where for as little as $3 a month, you can receive bonus material, be part of an online community, get course discounts, and much more. This episode was brought to you by the Bible for Normal People team, Brittany Prescott, Savannah Locke, Stephanie Spate, Tessa Stoltz, Nick Striegel, Haley Warren, Jessica Shaw, and Natalie Wyand. 